Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Hi there, this is Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for joining me. We're going to have a great show today. We're going to explore public relations. Now, public relations has is, is changed quite a bit over the last five, ten years as kind of this digital transformation has really come about. And more importantly, I think that a lot of the PR firms that I've dealt with have really morphed into more marketing firms, right? They're doing more for their clients than just a press release or doing a press tour or sending out press kits. That's passe. That's old school stuff now. Right now, everything is digital. But more importantly is how do we take that information and in making sure it's working its way into the press whether it's TV or radio or print or newspapers or online, so you as consumers can make sure that you find out about a product or a service. Now, if you're a business owner and you're listening to this show, how does it impact you? Well, I think today you're going to hear some great insights and some get some ideas from Amy Levy, Public Relations. Now, Amy is a, is a PR professional. We, we've got to know each other over the last six or eight months. She's been in the business a long time. She started her own company about 20 years ago. So she knows what she's doing. She's got a lot of great insights. She happens to specialize a little bit more in consumer products and food and restaurant and things like that. But if you know me and you've been listening, marketing is marketing and we can leverage those kinds of experiences and what we know and not only in B2B but in B2C as well. The other area that she really specializes in is crisis public relations. Now, Hopefully you don't and never have to use a crisis PR person because if you do, that means you've gotten yourself into trouble a little bit, but we're going to have some great insights on that today. So again, joining me today at the cafe is Amy Levy, CEO, president of Amy Levy Public Relations. But before we start, here's my commercial. My company, The Ponzi Group, provides consulting, interim, and fractional marketing and leadership services with a focus on the strategic and analytical side of marketing. We take a holistic approach to driving business growth. Consider us your marketing architects. We use research to gather the necessary insights from your customers, prospects, the competition, and the marketplace to develop fact-based approaches to building effective and efficient growth plans. And, much like a general contractor, we partner with internal teams or carefully selected vetted individuals and organizations to execute the strategies and plans, as well as provide oversight and management to ensure we stay on brand and plan. To learn more about our services, visit theponzigroup.com. As I said, I have Amy Levy, the CEO of Amy Levy Public Relations, on to talk about all things public relations. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm I'm excited. I think I say that to all my guests, but I am actually really excited to have you on. We we've had lots of conversations, and and um, you know we come come from the similar marketing background and agency work and things like that. So I, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of stories to talk. I love to, I love to tell stories on my show, and those are some of the questions I am going to ask you. But to, to put you and your business in, in context for my audience. Why don't you take a few minutes and, and tell us about you? So I, uh, my company is called Amy Levy Public Relations, and I'm based in Los Angeles, California. I started on uh, November 1st, 2002, 
which was the day after I left the Anti-Defamation League, a nonprofit that fights bigotry and prejudice. I had been there for five years. And, uh, and I finished up on, on Halloween and went out with all my friends to celebrate what my new beginning was going to be. People said to me, why don't you take the weekend? It's just Friday. And I said, I'm starting my business tomorrow. I can't wait. I can't wait. And, um, and while I was at ADL, my interest in the food and beverage area and in entertainment and the visual arts and the performing arts, those all came into play as I had created a lecture series called The Power of the Written Word. And it was a lively conversation series that we did four times a year, and it was to bring young people to the charity. As you may know, donors and supporters of charities, they tend to skew a little older. And all the nonprofit organizations out there, whether they're disease-related, American Cancer Society or ADL or, um, you know, arts organizations, they all are looking for young people, people in their 20s and 30s who are interested in the cause. And so I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I got a donor to donate $15,000 to underwrite my program. I did these really cool invitations. I, I selected hotels as my venues where we could have um, open bar and delicious food and free valet parking. And then great speakers talking about issues of concern to ADL, which were uh, censorship and rap music with lyrics that were offensive to some people films and television programs that might have affected the gay community, the Jewish community, the African-American community, the Latino community. And so we would have these speakers and we would talk about art and film and music and different business practices and very relevant to people now. We talk about the cancel culture and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so when I decided to open my firm after having this successful experience with these lectures and and we would get a hundred people that would come and we brought so much new life into the organization i wanted to represent people in those in those industries so i've represented restaurants and up-and-coming fashion companies beauty cannabis and um and i've loved that work and I've helped restaurants that were just building out their location and thinking about their menus. And, you know, I helped it become a reality. I help. I'm certified personally in um, Allertrain, which is a, uh, an organization that teaches restaurants and food manufacturers how to help people on specialty and restricted diets. So I think you and I have chatted a bit. I'm, I'm very familiar with gluten-free, dairy-free, kosher, um, nut-free, shellfish-free, people who are on those diets. So I've helped my clients who, I have, who have restaurants on designing those menus that can help those people and sourcing ingredients, whether it's finding a gluten-free pasta or finding you know, flour that, will, that doesn't have any cross-contamination. Mm -hmm. um, so I've launched restaurants. I've launched new food products. I'm very interested in food waste and food technology and food science. So those are, are areas that, that I work in. And, where, um, 
where do you think, I mean, you, you work in a variety of, of industries. I mean, is there a, a favorite that you like to work in? And I mean, let me go back to the name of your company, Amy Levy PR public relations, right? Yet we're talking about marketing, what I consider more marketing stuff. So how do you, let's start there. How do you position yourself? I mean, are you really a PR firm or are you a consulting firm? Are you a marketing firm? Or all of the above. ABC, I would say our, our company, our company, Amy Levy Public Relations, is a company that we sort of serve as an umbrella. We every, you know, all these things fall under us, un, under the umbrella. Marketing, crisis communications, when when a company is having a problem, or they have to have a product recall, or there's been sexual harassment with, you know, between two people. Then I come in and I handle a crisis. If it's if it, I, I work with cannabis companies from seed to store, people who are manufacturers, growers, cultivators, dispensaries. If I don't do the thing they need that falls under the umbrella, I find somebody else. If somebody needs a new website and they come to me, I help find them a web designer. I'm not a web designer mm -hmm. at all. I cannot do any of that stuff. But I know what I like and I can art direct and I can say, OK, we need this and we need that. So when somebody comes and says, we think that we need to hire a marketing agency or a PR firm or a crisis firm or somebody who's going to just get the word out, you know, doing publicity. Publicity is is when we work with the media and we write a press release and we reach out to journalists, to, you know, at targeted publications, whether it's a food client and we're getting them into food and wine or we're getting them to do a segment on the Today Show or we want them to be in Eater LA, or we want to help them sponsor a pop-up, or we want to partner with a wine company and do wine tastings, which is stuff that we've been doing virtually during the pandemic. And um, whatever it is that we need to get their message out. And one of the things that's interesting about our firm is that having worked at a charity for five years, I said, my one rule is all of my clients have to give back to the community in some way, whether you're selling cookies in front of your restaurant, you know, with the Girl Scouts, whether you're sponsoring a baseball, a local baseball team, whether you are going to elementary schools and helping out on career day and making a donation to their library, or you are if you're if a company that does let's say gluten-free cookies you're giving to the celiac disease foundation or um or other organizations that help people that are celiac or, or gluten intolerant we think it's very important that our clients give back it doesn't mean just money it could be their time but i think that that's what makes our clients interesting and i think that that's what makes them um beloved by their customers you know uh, millennials nowadays, they really want to know where their products are made. They, they will spend more money if they like what you're doing in your community. And social entrepreneurship is becoming more important for every brand. And we manage their social entrepreneurship. So, so I was going to say, you've got quite a, you know, it's a, an eclectic mix of, of services. Well, I can look at myself and say the same thing because a lot of what you said is I don't build websites. I find people to do that. And to me, it's more about the strategic side of marketing, as you know, the way I like to talk and market research and really understanding those nuances. But I do want to take you back because public relations, 
has changed quite a bit uh, in the, I'll say the last five years, 10 years, whatever we, time frame we want to put on it. So how has that changed really your focus and, and maybe the, reshaped your business? I would say one of the biggest ways is sharing information. When I started my firm in 2002, you could always tell how successful I was at the time because I had big binders for each client. So if you came into my office and you saw that I had six binders or 12 binders, you'd say, oh boy, she's doing well. She has a lot of, a lot of interesting clients. You'd also see that I had stacks of press kits in my office. A press kit is a folder that has all the information that a journalist needs to write a story. So if it's headshots of the CEO, if it's pictures of the product, if it's, if it's um, FAQs, frequently asked questions about the brand, where they manufacture, what they're doing, what are their ingredients, what do they do that's special? And, um, and then pricing information. You know, where are the products sold? How much do they cost? Do they use a distributor? How do stores get these products? Do people find out about these products at trade shows? You know, right, this so how has this changed your the nature of your nobody business? Does press kit. Nobody does that stuff anymore, because right? Because if you needed information, Angelo, about my client wine chips, I would send you some product overnight, FedEx. I would send you high resolution pictures. I would via email. I would send you a press release about the company via email. I would set up an interview for you with the CEO, and it would happen very quickly. In the olden days, and I'm aging myself, in the olden days, you'd send this press kit with all this expensive stuff. The folder was expensive. The, the, all these printed materials on, on you know, color printouts and, 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 and discs and things so that the journalist would have everything. And then you'd send it. And you'd have to go either, you know, wait for FedEx to come pick it up or go to the post office and stand online and whatnot. And, and it, it took a long time. So it's the speed of sharing information. You can get just as beautiful, high quality, high resolution photos sent to a journalist in two minutes, whereas you used to have to ship it across the country. And so we we're, we're we care more about the environment we care more about saving paper and we care more about saving time because when i started the company 19 years ago it was a lot of print a lot of print you wanted a few pages of a story for a client it was and now it's all online right how 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 is interacting with the the media changed i mean i know there's a lot of consolidation um it, and so I, I'm imagining, I'm imagining, I, I know, <laughs> that, that how you interact and try to get stories for your clients and stuff. It, I mean, some of that is reshaped, especially in some of the newspapers and things like that. Yes. You know, it's and, 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 and you know, newspapers and television and radio news, you know, that's always been a daily business. Right. And magazines, they work on a long lead. But. Journalists now, they don't even answer their phone a lot of the time. And so the personal connection and the personal relationship that I always enjoyed about PR, the time spent talking to a journalist and shaping a story and saying, oh, yeah, he's available for this. Or, yes, he's very charismatic. He would be terrific on your morning show. This is all done in an email now. And nobody wants to read a six paragraph pitch and then a long press release. They want you to get in and out. 
They want you to say, Dear Angelo, I hope this finds you well. I'm writing to you today about my client, Allie's gluten-free goodies. And attached, it, it, or not even attached, no photos yet, because they don't want to see your photos yet unless they request. So let me just give you five bullet points about why Allie's is different. And here's a brief press release. It's almost like a publicist is apologizing for taking up the journalist's time. And journalists and PR people are partners. We work together. We give them the content. They, they turn to us for stories. And we count on each other to survive. They help us get our clients' message to their readers. And we target them because we know that their readers are the ones that will be interested in the story. Mm -hmm. And so the information is passed very quickly, and it's mostly electronically. You know, I have a colleague who works with me who says, don't call them, Amy. They don't want to get a phone call. You don't want to get blacklisted. Just send them the information. And if they're interested, they'll respond. And then I sit back patiently, sitting on my hands, so that I don't type a follow-up email saying, hey, Angelo, did you get it? Hey, Angelo, just checking in. Wanted to see if you got the information that I sent you about my client. Would love to have a conversation if you're available. Nobody wants a conversation. Yeah. So, so, so there's so a those lot. dynamics have really changed and really changed the shape of, of what you do. And, and it barely resembles what my business was when I first started. First started, yeah. So let's talk about your business for a little bit. So this is kind of a two-part question. What have really the challenge has been in growing your business? So I would like to ask this question. You know, what keeps you up at night thinking about growing your business? And then we'll kind of layer in how did the pandemic and you know, last year, because we're now slightly beyond that, but last year, impact your business. So I'll start with that impact, if I may. So last year, um, as you know, the pandemic began in March. And in March, the first week in March is one of the biggest trade shows of the year that I go to. It's called Natural Products Expo West. It's in Anaheim, California. I live in Los Angeles. And I go down there usually for three or four days. I don't travel back and forth. I stay there in a hotel and I had my hotel booked and I had several clients who were going to be exhibiting. They'd already sent their materials. I was working with a company called Sealy Mints and they have the Sealy Mint Farm and they sent all of their product to Anaheim and I had a meeting with the client and before we were going to head down to the show and then the show was canceled. I had a client named Shrew Meats that was going to launch their product that is... Um, Mushroom shreds, balls, and patties. It's a it's a meat alternative. It's plant based, made with mushrooms, and it's um, a product for vegans and vegetarians, or even people that are on a flexitarian diet and uh, and try to eat vegetarian a few days a week. So they were going to be exhibiting, and then I had um, I had other food companies that were going to be exhibiting and everything stopped. The show was canceled. Nobody was able to get their food back. People had spent thousands and thousands of dollars to book these hotel rooms, to book this exhibit space, to book the added um, features of the show, where, whereas they'd be showing stuff in glass showcases or sponsoring a cocktail party, whatever it was, the whole thing was closed. And that's when clients started to say, Amy, we need to, um, I think we need to take a pause. So my clients work on a monthly retainer basis. And many of them said, let's just, you know, pull the plug and, and halt right now until we see what this pandemic's going to be. Maybe it'll be over by May. Mm -hmm. And um, well, Angelo, you and I know that it wasn't. 
But, um, but it was tough. It was tough because I was ready, willing, and able to work, as they say, and everything was put on hold. So what did I do for these clients? I said, we need to figure out ways to pitch the people that we would have seen at the trade show. So we started to make some videos where, let's say, I pretended that I was the restaurateur and my clients would show me their product and we would do it on Zoom and we would say, wow, look at this. You can make delicious chili or you can make this or you can do that. And we and, and I said, well, how would this work in my restaurant? How would I do this? Because we weren't able to go to restaurants to pitch the products because the restaurants weren't open. And we weren't able to go to grocery stores and pitch because the corporate offices of all the major stores, they weren't open either. And so we had to pivot and we had to pivot fast because I needed to make sure my business kept running. And then, and then I started to look at um, businesses that were helpful to people that were experiencing COVID, whether it was um, our mutual friend, uh, at Energy Experts International, Mark Brenner. And he was doing things that were making workplaces safe and factories safe and restaurants safe. And so we started to promote him and, and talk about how he was helping the environment and he was keeping viruses out of offices with ultraviolet lights and whatnot. And we talked to people that were in crisis because a very big part of my agency is helping people with crisis. I had an actress who was suing somebody in a studio for sexual harassment. I had a doctor who was being harassed by people who didn't believe in her research. We had a restaurant where the chef had had a problem with, uh, with one of the employees and now others were coming forward and suing. And so my, I, I put my crisis hat on and I was helping these people. And because at the beginning, we couldn't really do any PR, any publicity, any media outreach. We couldn't do that at the beginning of the pandemic because every story was just about COVID, about mm -hmm. how many cases there were in each region and in each state and in the country and what was the government doing? Were schools going to stay closed? Were, were people going to be under lockdown? Were people being safe at home? So that's all the stories that there were. And it would have been almost embarrassing, inappropriate, and offensive to be pitching anything other than a COVID story to the media. Right. Well, this is a great example of pivoting. I mean, right. if, you stayed, if you stayed in the PR lane, um, you know, you might have driven off the cliff. Right. So, Absolutely. So by pivoting and, and looking for alternatives, and it sounds like you got, got pretty inventive there. Um, and I, and I think that's great because, I mean, we, we, you know, we're both in marketing and there's always a challenge. And I, you and I've talked, I mean, that, you know, mid-February, March, April, all I saw was people chopping their marketing budgets. And to your right. point, the first delaying thing they their, want to cut, right? Yeah. The, you know, that's that investment versus um, uh, expense mentality. And, and, you know, as much as I could say, you know, don't do it, don't do it and trying to put facts in front of them, you know, they didn't necessarily listen to me. And later on, they did because then their business didn't quite go the way they wanted to, even though they were putting more cash at the bottom line. They dropped out of the out of the marketplace and other companies that didn't ended up taking advantage of it. So, I mean, you know, we tried to counsel like you and, and pivot and find areas where we could contribute and not necessarily the same way because, you know, nobody had a crystal ball or could predict what was going to happen in the next. Nobody uh, knew how 90. long this was going to take. Nobody knew how long it was going to be until the world started to open up. 
and people in food and beverage and hospitality suffered the most, you know, um, it was terrible. It was terrible. And I'll tell you though, our clients in cannabis were thriving. People started using more cannabis. People were home. They were anxious. They were in pain. They were suffering and they, and both medicinal and recreational cannabis users, they were using more. People in neighborhoods were coming outside of their houses and and um, and talking to neighbors because they felt so isolated. And they would stand on my block with masks on, talking to each other, meeting with a beer or a glass of wine out on the street and talking about their troubles, talking about what it was like to live in a house where maybe the mother and father work and one or two or three kids were all on zoom trying to go to school and figure it out. And the Wi-Fi was sketchy. And, um, and this was a time when people like me just sort of started writing and started blogging and reaching out to friends across the country and asking how it was going for them, you know? And I found that many agencies decided to close shop. Many people started to leave the big cities where they were. They didn't want to pay high rents in New York City or San Francisco or Los Angeles. And they moved to be closer to family or to live mm -hmm. places that as long as they're on Zoom, why shouldn't I move to Omaha? I've always wanted to. You know, I just spoke to a woman this morning who I'm working on a project with. Last week, she moved from Woodland Hills, California to Austin, Texas. Because she said, oh, my God, you can't believe that you can get such a great place for a much lower price. And it's a fun and it's a fun place to live. And her kid's going to go to public school there. And uh, and I'm excited for her new journey. You know, um, we went through something similar in 2007, 2008, when the economy was terrible. People were saying, oh, you know what? I can barely pay my staff. I can barely pay our office rent. I certainly can't pay for marketing right now. And so we found new ways to, to do marketing for our clients and expand our horizons. As I said, when I, when I was at ADL, I loved doing entertainment. And, I, and hey, I live in L.A. Every movie studio is here. But um, I found that I wanted to do things that were a little deeper, you know, and, and I love working with entrepreneurs. I love working with well-funded startups helping people who have a great idea and they're going to make it happen because I have been through it before. So I know co-packers and I know commercial kitchens and I know people who are accountants and attorneys and people who can protect someone's intellectual property and get them the licenses they need to go into business. So I do a lot of business development not just marketing. You know, I come in the marketing door. I'm not an accountant. You know, I'm a business person and I help people find solutions. And sometimes they find full under marketing and sometimes they don't, you know, like, like we said earlier, I, I, I'm not a web designer. I'm not a package designer, except I know the people who can do it. And I, I can, I can find glass jars for their cannabis flower and I can find, um, safe packaging for their gluten-free cookie. I can find, when, when, I, when I launched Stack Wines, which is four individual glasses of wine stacked on top of each other with a shrink wrap, 
I met the, I met the founders at a um, at a food industry meeting uh, through called Cornell University Hospitality, and somebody one of them stood up and said, "We just came out with this new product. We're calling it Stack Wines." And I said, oh, "I have to work with you." And at the event, at, this was in the middle of a seminar. And at the end of the seminar, we went to the back of the room. We started talking. They came into my office, and um, and and they they signed with me the next day. And two weeks later, I got them in Time Magazine and on Dr. Oz. Dr. Oz was doing a story on how red wine is healthy. And I said, well, this is great because it's four individual glasses. You may just want to use a little red wine in a recipe. You may want to just have one glass of wine. You're coming home from work and you're cooking and you'd like to sip a glass of wine, but you don't want to waste a whole bottle. And Dr. Oz loved that pitch and drank the wine on television. And... I was on the uh, I was in Las Vegas at a trade show for a financial client and a, a, a merchant services client, and they called me and they said, "I'm watching Dr. Oz on television right now, <laughs> drinking our wine," and I was just exhilarated because even though I've been doing this for a long time, every blog post, every story, every victory, every time I get a client into a supermarket. Because I do that too. I'm not. I'm not a distributor. I'm not a broker. But I have relationships with people. I just got a client into Gelson's, you know. And it's like every time I do that, I get so excited, you know. So I lie awake at night wondering what keeps me up at night is what what can I do to keep them happy? What do you think? What is I'll say your greatest success, and what are you most proud of? Um. Staying open, learning how to pivot. You know, I, I've, you and I have talked about a few of my clients. I had a client, not your daughter's jeans, and um, and though I'm not, you know, known as a fashion agency, um, not your daughter's jeans had a story, and their story was our jeans contour your hips, push up your butt, and flatten your tummy. And I said, well, we got to get some, we got to get some some celebrity or somebody to um, I have to, we want to get a celebrity who can be aligned with our brand, but we don't have the budget for it. But I heard that Rachel Ray was going to be doing a program at a, at a William Sonoma in Beverly Hills. She was going to be signing books. Uh, and I said to my client, Lisa, you know what? Rachel Ray wears jeans every single day on the show. She always wears jeans. Let's bring her jeans. Let's bring a size two and four and eight and six and 10. And let's bring all the styles in some bags and go see her for this book signing and talk to her. And we both bought the book and we went over to her and I said, hey, Rachel, look at these jeans. These are awesome. And I showed them and I said, they contour your hips and they push up your butt and they flatten your tummy. And she said, girls that like to eat need tummy tuck jeans. You can use that. And I said, okay. And I sped to my office and I wrote a press release that said, Rachel Ray says, girls that love to eat need tummy tuck jeans. And I sent that to, to Diane Sawyer and I sent it to Oprah Winfrey and I sent it to The View and I sent it to the New York Times style section. And everybody wanted a pair. Everybody wanted to try them. And soon they were everywhere. And people had said no. When they when they tried to bring the jeans line in and say, hey, would your store cover, you know, carry these? A lot of people said, no, thank you. And um, 
But after Oprah wore them on TV, then suddenly everybody wanted them. And then every paper in the country was covering it. And everybody was excited. And soon there was a department at Nordstrom and a department at Bloomingdale's. And soon we did a, a a casting call in my office for models to who were plus size to come and and try on these jeans and we picked we took pictures of them and we ran an ad in um, the New York Times magazine and uh, and we ran ads in Good Housekeeping and I sent the jeans to people all around the country that were friends of mine and told them to go into local boutiques and ask them to carry them so my mother-in-law was in La Quinta and um, my parents were in New York and I had friends in Maine and Chicago and Seattle and I sent them all jeans and they loved them and um, and the company the company was hugely successful and I felt very proud of it um, I have a client I'm working with now Cobbler King he's been in business for 27 years and uh, it's been tough during the pandemic. He makes the most gorgeous cobbler and beautiful puddings and pies, sweet potato pie and peach cobbler and blackberry cobbler and pecan pie, so good. And, and now he's launching a new line of frozen waffles. And um, we're trying to get him on, the, on, the, on Shark Tank right now. We're going through all the processes. And we're, I think we're almost at the finish line. So fingers crossed. So, and, and, and we're, we're working with him. We're trying to get him um, somebody who can do shipping for him nationwide so that he can send cobblers nationwide because he's never done nationwide shipping. And so we're trying to make that an important part of his portfolio. So we do all those kinds of things. So, okay. I love that. I love that. I love, you know, I love stories like that because you just, you know, they just, they start to snowball and, you know, if you're taking advantage and you see the opportunity, you can really go with that. But I'm going to tell you a story that I'm going to call it a funny story. Uh, hopefully you and the audience will find it funny. And then I'm going to ask you about one. So this actually is for a food product. And we had, and I won't na- say the name of it, but it was a, a margarine. And they had come to us. They, they were still producing it and they were talking to our agency and we probably had three or four meetings with them and it was narrowing down to us in one other firm. So the client called the prospect was very excited today. He was actually bringing the product so we could finally taste it. So bring the bagels, which we did. So during the meeting, you know, they're displaying it, they're talking about it. And of course we anxiously, you know, grab the bagel and start to butter it all up. And one by one, you can see the faces of our team take a bite. It tasted horrible. It was, it was God awful. And, and we're trying to smile, knowing that one, everyone, not a single person on our team, thought it tasted very good. Um, and it was a hard decision. I mean, it was funny because we'd been pursuing this company for probably six or seven weeks, and then we finally got that right down to us and somebody else. And it's like, how are we going to market this product? It's just, it's just awful. So that's what I call a funny story that uh, is the pursuit of new business. And we decided to back away because we couldn't feel comfortable marketing a product that, you know, just didn't taste well. Your turn. Well, you know, I, 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 um, I know you to be a person who is authentic. And I think that you have integrity and you just couldn't tell that story 
with a straight face and look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm going to tell the world to buy this product because I wouldn't buy it myself. I had somebody come into my office and I had heard she, she had a, um, it was a health and wellness client and she had uh, different services that she provided, physical therapy, massage and whatnot. And she came into my office and had a meeting. She could, she had her purse and she put it on the table. We had a whole presentation for her on this table, materials, things that we wanted to show her. She had things that she wanted to show us and she had this huge purse. And, um, and I said, Oh, do you want to put it on the floor or put it on this chair? And she said, Oh no, I can never put my purse on the floor. It's very bad luck and very bad karma. And I said, okay, all right. So I said, you know, you can hang it on this chair and whatnot. And we're talking and we're doing the presentation and she's showing us stuff and we're telling her how we can help her and her cell phone rings. And I think it was her assistant. And she started cursing and yelling at the assistant. And, you know, where the this is that and da, 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 and, you know, all the choice words. And, um, and then she said, just get it done. And then she hung up on her. And she looked to me and she said, okay, so, and then this, we wanted to talk to you about this. And I oh, said, skip a bit. I said, what, 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 what was that? And, and she said, oh, my assistant, she's, a, you know, an idiot. And I said, you know something, I think that I'm going to stop you right there. Because if this person is your assistant and you know, there's a lot of people looking for jobs right now. There's a lot of people out there that could probably come and be your assistant, but you've picked this one for some reason. So she must have some good qualities. She must do something right. Or she's always terrible and you're just lazy and you haven't gone out to get some. So you're not really great with human resources. And yet you're in health and wellness. And I just got a little taste of how you talk to people. And I think that's how you're going to talk to me and my team. It's not going to work. So thank you so much. Let me give you your purse. Let me give you your bag. And I'm going to show you to the door. Best of luck to you. But I don't ever need to hear anybody bring that toxic mouth into my team ever. And I suggest that you go and apologize to your assistant and either let her go or find somebody and find somebody else or be respectful because this person is working with you. I don't want to ever hear that mouth again. Sorry. Yeah. No, thanks. Um, and I commend you on that because, you know, so many times when. And I needed the job. I couldn't yeah. get the money. Well, when you're, when you're running an agency and I go back to, the, to my days. I mean, that was part of the, the evaluation is how did they treat people? Because when they come into the office and they started treating our people bad, you know, we never put up with that. And, you know, the, one of the I'll call it one of the greatest agency days was the very first time we fired a client because they were disruptive to the agency and they were a big fee client, too. I mean, it it, it was a lot of infighting about what to do about this. But at the end of the day. Our people hated working with them. They were extremely disruptive. They were very rude. They treated us and, and mostly the, you know, the assistants and things like second class citizens. And we had made that conscious decision to, to terminate them because th we'll find another client, and replace the money. But I didn't want to start replacing people because they were quitting because they hated this client.
Yeah, I had I had a client like that that we fired. Uh, he was one of the wealthiest individuals in Los Angeles, actually, and he had a charity that he was fully funding himself generously. Um, and he has since passed away, but he called us to come to his office and you needed to be, um, you needed the, the, the person in the lobby to get you into the elevator. You needed to be announced and they needed to welcome you up. And my assistant was going to a, um, to a meeting there, just, just the two, you know, just them. And he made her wait 25 minutes in the lobby. And then when after the meeting and I and sh the meeting went well and the content was good, his uh, his daughter called and said, you know, can you not send uh, so and so over? I, what is up with her frizzy hair and her messy notebook? And I said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. She has curly hair. Uh, are you suggesting that she should like blow her hair straight to come to your office to have the meeting? You know, let's talk about the substance of the meeting, not. And, you know, and, and you made her wait 20 minutes in the lobby. You know, I, I just do not play that game. You know, if you're fresh to my people, I will be your, I'm the advocate. I'm going to go in there and say, sorry, no, this doesn't happen. No account is worth it to mm -hmm. be abused. You know, we work very hard. We are in a creative business where, I mean, I was lying in bed last night watching a commercial, I mean, a, a news story with my husband where they announced, in fact, I targeted it. I, I, I texted it to my client, Cobbler King, last night at 10 o'clock. And, and, it, and it was that Target is going to be doing um, to add products from more than 500 black-owned companies. And I said, oh, my God, this is the gentleman that's doing the waffles that we're and we're trying to get him on Shark Tank. And uh, and so I took a picture of the screen target to add products for more than 500 black owned companies. And I, I said, let's get those waffles into Target. And and he wrote back, oh, I know I heard today. Let's do it. Let's start with, you know, with a region and then go national because. I didn't want to wait until today. I wanted to tell him now. I heard it on the news now. I'm gonna. I'm texting him at home right now to tell him. I'm so excited. Um, when I hear about these opportunities, I, I'm so happy, you know. And I, I call it, you know, our waffles. Let's get our waffles into Target. Not yeah, exactly. Waffles. So, you know, I I feel that when when we take a client. I feel that they're coming into the Amy Lee VPR family, you know, and I feel close to them and, you know, I laugh with them and I cry with them and I worry about them and what else can I do? And, um, and, and, you know, being in the service business, Angelo, people are always out there trying to poach your clients. People are always trying to, to, to say, oh, you know, what can we do for you? Oh, I didn't know you had an agency. Oh, I, you know, even though it says for media inquiries, please contact Amy Levy Public Relations. Right. So people are always trying to stab you in the back. And um, I don't let that happen. Well, it, and, and we can't, right? Because so we do stick up for our clients. I mean, to your point, what, I, even in the pitches, I start, and, you know, I'm talking to a prospect and I'm using the word we in our um, because that's how I feel. I mean, you have to be ingrained. If you just want to hire, you know, a quote unquote vendor to be your wrist, as I would call it, and just execute stuff, I'm not your guy. I need a seat at the table. 
I need to be able to have a voice. I needed to tell you that you're wrong and, and not worry about repercussions. It's why you hire me. If you hire me and don't want to listen to me and don't want my advice, then frankly, I shouldn't be there because I've not been known to stay quiet. <laughs> right. And that's what happened when you didn't like the way the margarine tasted on the bagel. Yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, I know that you do a lot of very thorough research for your clients. Your clients are so lucky to have your years of experience in this space. I, I would consider any of my clients lucky to work with you. Um, and, and the Ponzi group certainly has such a great reputation. What happens when you do a focus group and uh, everybody in the room says, ugh, I hate this product. How do you spin that when you go back to the client? Well, we did our focus group. We met with, you know, 15 women between the ages of 18 and 49 and 15 men between the ages of 18 and 49. And here are the results. How do you spin that? Well, I don't spin it. Actually, I tell exactly the way it is. So I did a uh, I worked with um, Fox Television and they were looking at a new show in the action sports industry, which I was very involved with and called five, four, three, two, one. And so we they the, the New York Fox team flew out and we we're in Southern California and I conducted probably six or eight focus groups with with the target audience teams. And we did everything from tested the concept to uh, showing them potential guests and getting feedback and, you know, kind of the different episodes within the show. And at the end of the day, we sat around, had a meeting and we got our reports together and they said, OK, let's hear it. And bottom line was the show is going to fail. It's going to fail because of X, Y and Z. Their, they looked at each other and their answer was, and I'm shortening the conversation, we don't care. We think we're right. Those, they're just kids. What do they know? <laughs> Six months in and out. It just it died a horrible death, which later came back and they listened to and read our reports and brought us back in for conversations. And it became fuel television. And that lasted for many, many, many years because they didn't want to listen. And, and so with so many times um, we get in there and, and the clients just say, yeah, I hear you, but we're not listening or we don't believe them or, and to me, it's like, why did you hire me if you're only going to make up your own mind? And right. yet there's the others that, that just want to know. I, I had the a chance to work with um, the Jackson family wines. And I think we talked about this. And one of them was La Crema. La Crema is one of my favorite Chardonnay. So it was a boutique winery that, that they had bought. And, and all of a sudden it really started to sell and the volume was picking up. And, and in the marketing meetings, it was like, we don't know why. We have no idea why people like this wine. And so my job was to travel around the country and actually hold focus groups with, with customers to try to determine why they love this wine. And it ended up at the end of the day, after all that research and all that money, it was the promise of the name La Crema or Creme de la Creme. And people bought into it's you know the best of the best and and so just that little piece of information helped you know define the marketing and the direction and the clients listened and you know it's been it's an incredible brand that, that has just done really well but again there's others simple green you know you know the product simple green right household cleaner I was there when it went from engine degreaser to household product and then we then we extended the lines to golf cup cleaners to barbecue cleaners to gun cleaners oops. No gun cleaner. Research says nobody's going to buy it. 
and they listened and that product never made it to market. So, you know, there's a mix. And, and to me, that's part of the research is to, is to lay the facts, is provide information so the marketing team can make an intelligent decision. You either listen to you it think or that you don't. Facts, it. You think that they, somebody said that they have to do research because they always do research? And um, I'm not sure why, because I was working with a team out here providing information. That's how you know, I was pretty ingrained in that. So whether it was quantitative or qualitative. And, and I think that there was the idea of the show. Action Sports was really big. And they wanted to carve out a niche within the television, you know, in the Fox shows. But I think they had the wrong executives looking at it, right? They had the executives that were divorced out of New York that had no idea. When I flew back to New York for a big sports conference, there was several of us that came out of California. And, and I'm an ex-New Yorker. But, I, but I'm at the conference and I'm wearing, you know, my Hawaiian shirt and shorts. And the guy next to me is wearing a, you know, a three-piece suit. And I'm sitting on a panel with people that are just only thinking a certain way when it came to, you know, the, the scurfing and skateboarding and snowboarding. And yet the guys that came from California with me, you know, we were speaking the truth and whether they listened or not, it, it didn't really matter. You know, that's what it was. And, and, and so we found disparity in executives around the country. Same thing with the sporting goods association. They flew me to Florida to be a keynote speaker. I spoke at magic three times, you know, the big fashion, it, and, and half the people that sat in the audience had no idea what I was talking about. It was it, they just it was no relevancy to it. Right. So um, so I think it, it, it gets down to you have to present the facts, whether I do research now or for anybody else. And if, the, if I'm asked, you know, I give them my guidance, I give them my recommendations. And then a lot of times I get involved in the actual marketing discussions because that's one of my benefits. Right. I, I can do the research, but I don't know how to interpret the research. I'm not just a researcher. So I can yeah. I can take that and interpret it into what it's the actions and things we should do. And I think that's what has helped me and to be involved in a lot of different things. You know, it's funny. I, when I when I was still living in New York, I worked at um, at a big ad agency um, and I did direct to consumer pharmaceutical advertising. And um, we were one of the first groups to ever do that. Now, I mean, you can't watch a show without 40 commercials for drugs. Right. <laughs> but, you know, there was branded and unbranded. And the branded was when they they mentioned the name of the product, but they couldn't tell you about the indications. And then there was the unbranded. You know, oh, do you have a runny nose? Do you have this? Do you have that? Mary Merrill Dow has some solutions. And then there were commercials that said, ask your doctor about Seldane because that was a product I worked on. And I remember when I worked on the launch of Proscar, which was for prostate enlargement, the entire campaign was geared towards women because the research showed that it was the women who said, oh, you know, Herman, you need to go to the doctor. You get up to go to the bathroom seven times every night. You have this problem, you have that problem. So all of our advertising was to women. Cookie mm -hmm. Light Magazine, which is no longer, but Cooking Light magazine and Women's Day, that all of the all of the campaigns were geared towards women 55 plus who were who were asking the doctors who were pushing, you know, husbands were not out there asking their doctors embarrassing questions. And the product was, I remember we waited the, the Food and Drug Administration, we were waiting for their approval 
when it, when a drug is approved, they used to have this thing called the pink sheets. And when it came out of the pink sheets that it was approved, we could run our ads. And it was all towards women, even though no women were going to use that product. But see, that's the beauty of understanding. So I just finished a shopping study, shopping behavior study is, is, that's been impacted by COVID. When I started the study, I was thinking, okay, it's going to skew women. But the reality was that the greater opportunity was men. In, in the conclusion is it's men because women are sending their husbands to do the shopping, <laughs> you know, and keep staying out of the store. With a list. With a list. Now, I, I'm, I'm one of those. My wife will say, where the hell were you? I go, I was at the supermarket. And she said, but you've been gone an hour. I said, I know, but I like to go up and down every aisle in case I see something I want to buy. She's like in and out in 30 seconds. I like that. That's an event for me. Right. Me too. I'm exactly the opposite. My husband, my husband says, text me the list, leave me the target card. Tell me what you want. Write it down. Put in parentheses, you know, get, get, get the detergent that has the OxyClean mixed in. Make sure you want, you get the one that's the reduced fat because he doesn't really like to shop with me because I work in the business. I, I, I like to say, oh, look, I saw that product at the fancy food show and now they're on the shelf. I'm so excited. Or, oh, wow, they're private labeling that at Trader Joe's. I know who makes that. And, um, and so it, it's totally an adventure for me. And, and at the beginning of the pandemic, that was the only place I went was the supermarket with yeah, the masks yeah. and the gloves and then, and then with the spraying, with the Windex on, on all the products. And it was like, why are you washing those products? I don't know. I thought I saw on the news. You're supposed to wipe off the butter. You know? <laughs> I read an article that it's important to wipe down the milk and leave your bags outside in the sun and, you know. Yeah. So this has been uh, a fun conversation. And, um, you know, it, I, I think that, you know, people listening to this, I mean, a lot of insights. And but and I think that, you know, in growing your business and things you've done for your clients, I mean, really pivoting and, and grabbing hold of nuggets and, and really merchandising those on. I think there's some wonderful advice and in, in areas that they can take forward. So, but I have one last question for you before we, we say goodbye. What do you want to accomplish that you've never accomplished yet? I think that I would like to change the game for somebody who is in crisis. I'd like to fix their problem, you know, um, fix their problem and, and have them pivot with their reputation fully so that I get them out of the problem and then put them on a, on the right path. You know, sometimes people come to us because they want marketing, they want PR, they want a, a launch of something, they want to revitalize an old brand. There's been changes with with the the, um, the C-suite and they want to, you know, sort of change the image of the company. But what I haven't done is have somebody come with a crisis. We help them. And then we refocus them in a new way so that they're better than they ever were. That's, that's, that's something that I would like in 2021 to take one of right. our crisis clients and, and fix the problem and make them even better than ever. Um, All right. Well, we're going to leave on that high note. So 
Why don't you, uh, this is great. Why don't you tell the uh, audience how about you and your, I mean, not you, your contact information, your website, LinkedIn, all that good stuff and how they yes. get a hold of you. So they can, they can find me on my website at amylevypr.com. That's A-M-Y-L-E-V-Y-P-R.com. We're in Los Angeles, California, and um, we would love to hear from them. They, and we're, we're, we're on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter and Facebook, Amy Levy Public Relations. All right, Amy, thank you so much. This has been wonderful, and uh, I, I'm so happy you were able to come on today. Yes, me too. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Take care. Amy, I want to thank you for joining me here on the show today. And I want to thank you out there in podcast land for listening to us here today at the Business Growth Cafe. If you are a subscriber to the show, I want to thank you very much. And if you're not a subscriber, it's about time you do, right? Because we have shows on a weekly basis with a lot of great insights from a lot of folks that you can learn from to help your business grow. Now, if you need help with your business growing, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn or at theponzigroup.com or really, frankly, just Google me and I'll show up. And my services can range from anything from being a fractional CMO to, to being a marketing consultant to actually executing a lot of different services that you may need to help grow your business, whether that's market research, whether that's brand and positioning and messaging or developing long-term strategic plans. And if you want to, get the tactical stuff going, websites and social media. I have a lot of partners that I can introduce you to to help you execute the plans that you hire me to do. So again, thank you for joining me here at the Business Growth Cafe. I hope you enjoyed the show. And if this is your first time, go back, download a few others, take a listen. There's a lot of great talent that I've had on the show and a lot of great education, if you will. I've got over 130 shows now, so there's going to be something at one of them that you're going to love to listen to. And please join me here next week at the Business Growth Cafe. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.